0: a number of years ago now. Robbie Williams released an album, Sing When You're Winning. The exact date is uh, debated when it came out. Um, it makes sense though, doesn't it, to sing when you're winning? Now, What better time to sing than when things are going really, really well? But what do you sing when you're losing? I don't think Robbie's released that album yet. Now, what, do you, what do you hum when your world falls apart? Does it have to be a woeful moment? You know, do you, do you have to have a kind of slow twelve-bar blues backing and a, a growling lead vocal to sing when you're losing? Uh, Psalm 46 that we just read earlier sings in the face of fear. It sings this: "Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way." It's a strange song because it stream, it, it screams out confidence. And it's a confidence that should have already been destroyed. It seems just unnatural, if, as you heard it read before, the listening to that situation described to even be in any way confident. See, when your world is falling apart, despair is what comes naturally, not confidence, not fearlessness. Mother Teresa of Calcutta spent her life surrounded by extreme human suffering. She spent nearly 50 years serving the poor, the sick and the dying there in India in the slums and it cut her. In private letters she lamented that she didn't actually practice what she preached, that her demeanour didn't match the desolation that was going on inside her. From her letters she said this, The smile is a big cloak which covers a multitude of pains. My cheerfulness is a cloak by which I cover the emptiness and misery. I deceive people with this weapon. So she had this desolation that actually flowed from a feeling that God was absent. At points in her life, she actually wrote of a lack of consolation. She wrote this There is so much contradiction in my soul no faith, no love, no zeal. I find no words to express the depths of the darkness. My heart is so empty so full of darkness. I don't pray any longer. Work holds no joy, no attraction, no zeal. I have no faith, I don't believe. Now I don't want to get laid entirely by delving too deeply into uh, the nature of Mother Teresa's beliefs uh, and whether she kind of held that or whether these were just letters she wrote, particularly feeling that way at a particular time. I certainly don't want to destroy uh, the esteem which she's held for, uh, for the way that she gave uh, her life to serve others. But it strikes me that if someone like Mother Teresa lost heart when the world crumbled, how can this psalmist, this son of Korah, sing so fearlessly? If she couldn't sing in the face of fear, how is it that you and I will? See, like all good songs, the key to it is the chorus. Uh, Verse 7 and repeated again in verse 11, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. See, we, we never have to lose heart because of the power and the protection of the God who's with us, even if our world falls apart. And that's what's happening there in Psalm 46, at least in the opening, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. The imagery he's using there is not, it's not accidental. He's not just kind of thinking of it off the top of his head. It's he's drawing on the biblical language that's used in the creation account. Uh, in the beginning, when when God spoke the world into existence, you can look at it later in Genesis one, he dealt with water. Uh, seas and oceans in, in Hebrew thinking uh, are symbolic of chaos. Uh, we don't think that way because, um, largely, our experience of water is—you know—we go to North Sydney Pool, or we kind of paddle by the beachside, you know, never more than hundred meters from the shore. Uh, but in the ocean, you know, getting out there beyond where you can see land on the horizon, out in the ocean, the water can rage, uh, uncontrollable chaos. And in Genesis one, before this world is formed, God's spirit hovers over the waters and God speaks and he separates water from water to make sky and he speaks again to, to gather the water under the sky together to, to form land. The point is in the creation account God made order out of chaos. He drove back the waters and so later when we read in Genesis 6 if you, if you know that part of Noah and the flood what's going on there is the reversal of creation that the water is coming back reclaiming the land. And in Psalm 46, it's the chaos of water that's that's placed against the most permanent part of creation, uh, the most ordered part, the mountains. Yeah, I know mountains change. Um, I understand. You know, Mount Everest apparently grows at an inch a year, but I think we can say at that rate, you know, for all intents and purposes, they are just a permanent fixture. And here, Psalm 46 opens with mountains crashing into the sea, chaos is uh, ensuing that, that that which should be permanent is shaken and they're quaking and creation is being reversed and, and what the psalmist is doing is he's watching the world fall apart and yet he's not scared. It doesn't worry him. He's not trying to describe a, a specific historical event at this point. He, he's evoking the collapse of the world. It's, it's tapping into tragedy at multiple levels. You know, this kind of description can resonate with uh, Kenyan Christians at the moment. Uh, their world is falling apart. The BBC reported last week that 300 people have been killed and at least 70,000 driven from their homes in Kenya uh, in a matter of days. Uh, among them were at least 30 villages, including 13 children, uh, who were burned alive in a church, a wilder church, uh, near Eldorat in the Rift Valley. Now, these are people who have a world that is falling apart. Uh, Psalm 46 resonates a couple I know of who uh, were expecting their first child. Uh, the time came for their child to be born. Uh, born in a good hospital, Royal Melbourne, you know, very respectable, good staff. Uh, a little girl, Poppy, was delivered safely into the world but uh, Anna, the mother, uh, started hemorrhaging and the doctors, even though they were skilled, um, couldn't stop the blood flow. And so within 45 minutes of her delivering new life, uh, she had lost her own. Her husband was there uh, celebrating uh, a new daughter, Poppy, and dealing with the massive grief of his lost wife and what his world was going to be. You know, His world fell apart. You know, and Psalm 46 is painting that picture uh, with words. The world is collapsing and yet even then you can remain fearless because God is our strength and our refuge. God is on hand to help in the words of the chorus, the Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. And the rest of the psalm just spells out the significance of that chorus. So first in, uh, in verse 4 to you know, 6 or 7 we see God the fortress. Verse 4, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, she will not fall, God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. So we're being taken inside the fortress walls, inside where God is there and God is in his city and the city is is nothing like the raging world outside. So those destructive waters that are on the outside have now been tamed into a flowing river. And again, it's it's using language from creation. When God made the first people and he placed them there in Eden, in the garden, there there was a a life-giving river that flowed through. And here again in God's city, there is a stream that brings life and joy to the citizens. And so while outside the world is falling apart with immovable mountains crumbling, in verse 5, God is in this city and therefore this city cannot fall. To knock a mountain down is hard. Um, but it's possible. This city can't fall uh, because God is impossible to overcome. It's his voice that speaks and it makes nations, kingdoms you know the whole earth just melts. Uh, you, the world might fall apart, but it's just not going to make a dint in the fortress that is God. and he utters the word and just you know, like a lump of wax put too close to a fireplace, it just the whole world merely slides away. Here is why the psalmist is fearless, because he knows the power and he knows the protection of God. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And he writes on and and as he sings further he he elaborates on on what happens when God goes out of his city and into the the chaos of the world. Verse 8, Come and see the works of the Lord. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear, he burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations, I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Generally, when the Bible says, um, Come and see the works that God has done, um, they're good and they're spectacular. Now you think of God's, I suppose, two greatest works. Um, There's the work of creation and the work of salvation. Two good, spectacular and even more constructive events. Uh, When God creates, he brings life out of nothing. When God saves, he brings life out of death. And so it's a bit of a surprise when we get to this psalm and the psalmist says, go and have a look at God's works and his works are actually in verse 8, desolation, not construction. But this desolation, this destruction is just the flip side of salvation. There's an old saying, you can't make an omelette without breaking a few eggs. Uh, apparently it first turned up in English through a, a British MP uh, of the uh, 19th century, a guy called Thomas Perinet Thompson. His uh, original phrase was, We are walking upon eggs and whether we tread east or tread west, the omelette will not be made without the breaking of some tell you a little about Thompson, Uh, Thompson himself, uh, a Christian man, a Methodist lay preacher, he was a good friend of William Wilberforce. Uh, You might know him and uh, the great work he did in abolishing slavery. Uh, Thompson had spent time as a governor of Sierra Leone in the uh, early 1800s but was actually, um, I suppose, dismissed from the post because uh, he was so vocal in his opposition to the slave trade and the empire wanted to keep it going. He was a relentless critic throughout his life of, uh, of the empire and the practices of the British Empire. At the time of the Indian Mutiny in 1857, uh, Thompson was a, an outspoken defender of not the British but the natives and their rights for justice. Now, he was a man who actually spent his life committed to justice but he understood justice wasn't going to come without the breaking of some eggs. And the psalmist is pointing to God's desolation and he is saying, you watch God break the necessary eggs to bring true peace. Stopping war permanently requires a power that that will crush weapons and crush the causes of war. And so when God, the Lord Almighty, I'd want to say a better translation, the Lord of hosts, another way of saying the general of the army, when God goes out into the world, he wields power. And power that is going to put an end to all wars. The Psalmist avoids the depths of despair that Mother Teresa found herself in because, because he knows the power and he knows the protection of the God who is actually with him. And he realises if he stays with God, if he stays within that city, then nothing in the outside world is going to harm him. And God knows that too, it's not surprisingly. And so he gives this advice in verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. Now the call to be still I think has to be the most misunderstood phrase in the Bible. You can dispute me later about other misunderstood ones. Uh, But Christians kind of read be still. Uh, A lot of Christians have read it through this kind of veil of almost Eastern philosophy. You know that God is calling us simply to relax, uh, to light some incense and to face... You know, the world's collapsing. Just kind of be serene even though it's happening. Now, I've got nothing against you. you. know, if you like incense, if you like serenity, that's great. But that's not what God is saying here. The Lord Almighty, the general of the army, the divine warrior is giving a general's command. It's be still. You know, leave off, quiet, stop what you're doing. It's not spoken as a comfort for the harassed people hiding in the city. It's a rebuke to the world and the whole of creation that rages against him. Now, God's not encouraging people, oh, just chill out and relax. He's actually calling everyone, you and me included, to actually fall in line and recognize he is God. And that everyone needs to acknowledge him as the one who has the highest place. You see, in, in face of the world collapsing, what our hope is, is, is not for man's needs to be met. But for God's glory to be seen. That God might do this, that that He might work for His glory, yeah, it'll offend our pride. You know, the part of us that that longs to be the most important, to to kind of sit in His throne, that part of us won't like it. They won't delight in it. You know, the world that that wants to kind of deny the truth of God, it's not going to rejoice. But for those of us who recognize that God is God and that He deserves to be treated as God, are actually going to be thrilled. At a time when he comes and is so exalted that every nation across the the world stops fighting and actually looks at him and can no longer fight see so God is a mighty fortress, and those with him with him can, can afford fearlessness, but those outside the city well, will those raging against him they need to hear that warning be still they need to recognize god 's right to, to call the shots. The Apostle Paul, uh, his life could be called many things but never dull. Um, he was arrested one time for preaching Jesus in Jerusalem and so uh, he appealed to the highest authority he could. He was a Roman citizen so he said, I'll go to Caesar, I'll go to the emperor and he can hear my case. So the slave gallery he was uh, travelling on though, uh, things didn't go smoothly, got blown off course. So the captain thought we've got to make up some time here and so instead of uh, being forced to winter in a, in a port, the captain thought it was unsafe um Despite Paul's warnings, uh, the ship tried to make up ground by travelling through dangerous waters. Uh, the gamble didn't pay off. Uh, the ship got caught in this kind of raging storm. They lost control. Um, the storm was raging on and on. Uh, they were first of all forced to unload their cargo, which, if you think about it, is kind of like throwing all your money overboard because they're not going to get paid when they turn up any- anymore. You now these guys just want to hang on to their lives. Uh, by the third day they were even uh, dumping the ship's tackle, you know, stuff that's necessary to keep the boat going. Um, they had, quote from Acts 27, they'd given up all hope of being saved. You know, at that point Paul spoke to them and he said, um, I urge you to keep up your carriage because not one of you is going to be lost, only the ship is going to be destroyed. Last night an angel of God, uh, the God whose I am and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, do not be afraid. Keep up your courage. Yeah, great words in a storm. Doesn't doesn't mean the storm stopped. Uh, and so later on, the, the ship uh, continued going on. It was becoming dangerous and close to the rocks. And sailors, experienced sensible sailors, they feared for their lives. They had a choice: will I listen to Paul's words, or will I just jump on the lifeboat? So they uh, pretend they're going out the back to lowest some anchors, and uh, they drop a lifeboat. Paul calls the centurion and the soldiers who are on board and just says, unless those men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So his point was, there is safety if you stick on the side of the almighty God, if you obey him. But you you go outside of him, well, there is no security. Even if you think you've a better plan, to go against God is actually not safe. See, my temptation when the world is falling apart, when at least my experience of the world falls apart, is I'll just go and run things my own way for a while. I'll fix it. I'll do, To not be still but to rage against God. Now, for those Kenyan Christians who saw family and friends slaughtered outside their church, I'm sure the temptation to deal with this collapsing world would be take vengeance, brutal and bloody vengeance. Now step out of God's way Handle it myself. Uh, for Poppy's dad, who uh, you know, there weeping for his wife. I'm sure the temptation for him was to rage against God, uh, to let bitterness fester up, uh, to be consumed by self pity. When the world is falling apart, the temptation is just to get scared and to go it alone, rather than bravely stay within the safety of serving God. We are quick to forget the power and the protection of God who's with us. We need to hang on to this kind of psalm, and so we can sing about God's exaltation, not when things are going well, but when we're at our lowest. That's why this, this psalm, I think I've seen most often turn up on condolence cards. because yeah, it's then, when we're afraid to keep doing things God's way, we actually need to remember both His victory and His proximity. We need to sing that chorus to ourselves. We need to sing, The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Because God's victory is complete. He has crushed every one of our greatest enemies. Our great enemy of sin that tempts us to wander off and exalt ourselves. Well, you know, Jesus destroyed that after living the perfect life. Our enemy of death, a consequence of sin, Jesus has destroyed it. He died but he couldn't be held. Our enemy, the devil, uh, the one who's a murderer and a liar from the beginning, the one who, who wants to deceive us all and take us under God's wrath, well, Jesus has destroyed him too. Um, Hebrews two fourteen and 15 says this, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too, Jesus too, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. You see the victory of God is complete over anything that the world can throw at us and therefore we need not fear even as our world collapses. We also have his proximity, his closeness. When Jesus told his friends that he was going to have to leave them he gave them this comfort in John 14. The counsellor, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have said to you peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. And again when he ascended up into heaven he told them surely I am with you always right to the very end of the age. See God is not a distant God. He's not, he's imminent. He's not not some kind of cosmic clockmaker who's disappeared. No, no, he's so close that he dwells in every believer. The psalmist sang When he faced fear, the world collapsed, but he didn't lose heart because God, the Lord of Hosts, was with him. And I want to say, this is not a psalm that you kind of put on the shelf, and when the nuclear holocaust happens, you dust it off and go, "Oh, now I've been waiting for a time when the world would collapse. I can sing this psalm." No, no, it's a psalm that we should reflect on regularly. It it calls us to actually live a life that exalts God, calls us to shelter in Him. Yeah, it's not a guarantee that life's going to be comfortable. But it does mean, uh, we read earlier uh, Paul saying in 2 Corinthians 4, we're going to be able to say we're hard pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We might outwardly waste away but inwardly we'll be renewed day by day. That We don't need to lose heart because of God. Martin Luther used the German word anfektungen. Please correct my German later on. Uh, to describe his struggles with God, Unfektungen apparently has been described as uh, the crisis of certainty that drives a believer back to God. Uh, it's that feeling of God being both present and absent, being God being too near and too far the God of wrath and the God of love, God who's weak and yet almighty, God who's real and illusion, God who's hidden and yet revealed. And Martin Luther himself was a man who sang in the face of fear. See, in 1527 he was a man who struggled with depression all his life. In the year of perhaps his deepest depression, he wrote a hymn based on what was his favourite psalm, Psalm 46. A mighty fortress is our God, a bullock never failing, Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. Luther went on to say this, uh, And though this world, with devils filled, should threaten to undo us, we will not fear. For God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. At the prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Luther didn't think oh life's going to be comfortable we'll be spared attacks, but he did have a deep security and so he could face that fear See, however much your world will collapse around you it cannot shake God his power and protection are unmatched I don't know uh, about Mother Teresa I don't know if she ever made it through her dark depths of despair but I know for us because our God is with us we can sing in the face of fear Let's give thanks for that. Lord and Father, we are thankful that you are the Almighty One, that you are the One who is above all nations, that nothing can move or shake you, that you are our fortress and you are with us. Lord and Father, may that be our comfort all our days. May it be our joy in times that are hard. Amen.